1: Uh, oh. Me. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. I'm so glad you said yes. I'm so oh. glad you said yes. There's been a lot of talk about you being here today. Everybody's asking me why did I want to have you here? I want to know what all the fuss was about. What's everybody talking about? And I had so many friends who had gone to your rallies. People I know were sending me videos from the rally saying this guy is the real deal, this guy is the real deal. So thank you for the chance to sit down and see that if you are the real deal. Are you the real deal?
2: I feel some pressure now, but you <laughs> oh, okay. put it that way. Okay. But how could I say no to you? Um, And it's just a a huge honor for me to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying yes. yes.
1: Now, Okay, so you've emerged as this new voice in politics who rose above the negativity and also redefined what a typical political campaign could be. And I'm interested in why and how that happened. So that's why I wanted to also have you here. But I have to say, I didn't know who you were. I first noticed you around mid-June and you were um, talking about the immigration issue, it was one of the few times that since I've left the Oprah show that I really missed having a daily platform because I just wanted to be able to speak to the people about what was happening on the Mm -hmm. borders. And I saw an interview with you down on the borders as I was feeling so helpless uh, so I call my friend Gail and I call the woman, uh, the doctor Colleen Kraft, I think her name was, who was the head of the pediatrics for children, t- who was talking about what we were doing to children, separating them from their, their parents. And I said, Gail, you gotta go down there. You gotta find this guy. He's a tall guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he looks sort of like Robert Kennedy or one of those <laughs> Kennedy guys. You gotta find that guy but I was doing that because I felt so helpless and I saw you in the midst of it. Did you, how did that moment, first of all, inform your candidacy? And did you feel helpless too?
2: You know, I did initially. Here you had this great country taking little kids and babies from their parents after they'd survived a 2,000 mile journey, much of it on foot, if they were lucky, on top of, not inside of a train called the Beast or La Bestia. Um, Coming to this country of asylum seekers and immigrants and refugees from the world over going generations back. And at their most vulnerable, desperate moment, that baby for whom they've risked everything is literally taken, torn from their arms. What do we do in the face of that? Yeah. We found out about it, and along with Veronica Escobar, who's now the representative for El Paso, and Susie Bird, and other great leaders in our community, issued a call to action to the world. Come down to El Paso, to Tornillo. Where we are imprisoning these kids, um, something that that is tantamount to torture, what we are doing to them, and bear witness to this, and, and let's testify to everyone that this is happening in your name in this country. Do not blame this on Donald Trump, do not blame this on a political party, do not blame this on someone else. If we are a democracy, then the people are the government. The government is the people. It's on every single one of us. I to have make to it say
1: right. that that. Gave me goosebumps when I first heard you say it because it's like, do not blame this on anybody because this is happening in your name. That's because right. Because this is America, and if you call yourself an American, then you are bearing witness to this and allowing this to happen.
2: And and people from across the country in less than 24 hours came to Torneo, not the easiest place in the world to get to. Uh, You had folks like Joe Kennedy, with whom I served in Congress, flying from Massachusetts on a red eye to get there in time. You had folks driving from Corpus Christi or Denver, Colorado, all coming there, converging, and doing something so powerful. And I've got to tell you, Oprah, that it was their presence, the pressure that they helped to produce, that caused the change that we needed to see. The administration stepped back from that policy, stopped taking babies from their parents. I saw the power of people in action and it wasn't up to an election or a candidate or or a person. It reminded me that in this country, it's all of us and there's real power in that. So on the night that we lost the election, um, by by almost three points, I said uh, I'm as hopeful, I'm as optimistic as I've ever been. It's because even in the face of that loss, I saw the power of people. Not only did we almost win in a state that had been described as one of the most reliably read in the country, I just saw so many people from so many different walks of life, from every county in Texas, come together to try to achieve the impossible. And to me, that is the story of our country. When we're ambitious, when we think big, bold thoughts, when when we dream, we do everything in our power to achieve that, not the small stuff that has defined so much of the national conversation as of late.
1: You lost by about 200,000 votes, the closest Senate race in Texas in 40 years, uh, 50.9% to, I think, 48.3%. Is it?
2: But who's counting? But who's counting?
1: Yeah. Uh, you were counting, so I got that. Why do you think you lost? What do you really think about... The, for, let, first answer that. Why do you think you lost?
2: I don't all the way know. Um, certainly I could have done so many different things during that campaign. Could have said something better, could have shown up another time in a given community. You think so? Um, I, 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 I don't believe that... The agency to to achieve our dreams is outside of us. I I really think that we've we've got it within us. I know know we could have won that race. And I know not because of me or or anything I or my team came up with, the tens of thousands of Texans, Republicans, Democrats, folks who had never voted before. Our state was 50th in the country for voter turnout, not by accident, 100% by design, 2017, the courts found four separate times that Texas had successfully drawn people out of a congressional district, out of a reason to vote, I would say out of their democracy because of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their country of origin. That's on purpose. Voter suppression at its finest. At its worst. And I don't know that I had anything to do with this. The people of Texas decided that they were gonna transcend that, overcome that, and they did. Young voters turned out at 500% greater levels than they had in 2014, the last midterm election. Um, So, okay. That was exciting. So, Um,
1: you raised over $70 million in mostly small donor monies and crisscrossed the Texas visiting 254 counties. I don't know how you do that uh, during that Senate race. And you had a small staff with no paid speech writer right. or, or pollsters. You knocked on doors and you, 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 you carried in people's groceries. Uh, <laughs> have you been surprised by the, the overwhelming response? And then you're doing all of that. Something happened, something yeah. happened. What happened?
2: The music that really turned me on as a young man, when I discovered you didn't have to just listen to what was on the radio, was punk rock. Kids my own age, writing their own songs, telling their own stories, starting their own labels, booking their own tours, doing it by their rules and and no one else's. By not having a pollster, never reading a poll during the campaign, not having any consultants, uh, not focus group testing um, the message, but just saying what I really felt, admitting when I did not know, listening to people to get the answers in their communities from their experiences and not presuming that I knew better than they did, Um, was powerful for me. I learned a hell of a lot during that campaign. And I think at a time that our politics is so heavily scripted and tested and safe, there was something that was new and maybe even dangerous or different about the way that we ran this campaign. Going to every single county in Texas, all 254, not just the reliably blue places where you'd expect to find a Democrat, going to King County that voted for Donald Trump 96% in the last election, because the people in Guthrie, the county seat, are every bit as deserving of my attention, of being listened to, of being heard, of being fought for, of being served, even if they don't vote for me.
1: So when you walk into a place that's 96% against you and you know it, are you a little scared?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: Are you a little like, oh, oh, let's leave before sundown, is a little bit of that going on,
2: no? Yeah, it, it, it can be intimidating. I, I remember a Mother's Day uh, town hall on a Sunday morning, in Paducah, Texas, on the county courthouse steps. We'd brought roses for all the moms who had shown up, uh, all three of them, and you know, seven (laughs) men. uh, And and there was this little group that was protesting our appearance because of my position on gun safety. Um, And and, and it was a little intimidating. Folks of Paducah, maybe they don't want me to be here. Maybe, Maybe we should stay so long. Maybe we should move on to the next town. But we invited them into the conversation. We said, you can ask a question. You can share with me why you think I'm wrong and, and not do it privately, do it in front of everyone here. Uh, and maybe we will all learn something. I don't pretend to know everything about this issue. I want to hear about your experience. And it was really amazing. They, they came into the, conver- they literally physically moved into where we were, entered the conversation, were critical of me, which is perfectly fine. But, but I left uh, feeling better about things. I, now, I don't know that I earned their votes, and I would assume that I didn't. Yeah. Um, but, but I learned that we can have really civil conversations, treat one another with respect and dignity, even when we disagree passionately about the thing that we care most about.
1: Is that what you learned? You said that uh, even though you lost the election, that it taught you so much. What's the main thing it taught you? You came out of it yeah. knowing what? That you didn't when you went in.
2: Yeah. People are so good. The division that we see in our country, um, the animosity, um, the conflict, the vilification, almost dehumanization uh, of people for the views that they hold or the country from which they came or any other difference that really should not define us. I didn't find that when I met people across the state of Texas. I had folks who came up and said, I'm gonna be voting for Ted Cruz, but I really appreciate the fact that you came to Abilene. No one ever comes to Abilene and you showed up. My parents came out, listened to you. You answered my dad's. Question, um, thank you for doing that. People were so nice and civil and, and dignified with, with one another. When you're looking somebody eyeball to eyeball, when you're in the same room with them, yeah. it is so hard to say the things that are so easy on Twitter or on social media yeah. or on cable TV when you're talking about a whole group or class or party uh, of people. So the basic decency and goodness of people was reinforced. And, and the challenges that we have before us, People dying of the flu and diabetes in the wealthiest, the most powerful, the most medically advanced country in the world. Climate change, a degree and a half Celsius more, and we lose so many of the places that we call home forever. So many people will suffer, so many people will die. Immigration, laws that match our values, our interests, who we know ourselves to be, met a a couple from McAllen, uh, one of these border communities, Um, not unsafe, doesn't need to be walled off, nothing to be afraid of. In fact, one of the safest cities in the United States of America. We're up to all these challenges. We just need a politics and representation that reflects our values, our goodness, our kindness, our ambition, the big stuff that we want to do. And, and the way that we ran this campaign, not only no polls, but no PACs, no corporations, um, no distance between the candidate and the people that we want to represent. That's the way to do this. And um, so, so I came out of that more optimistic than I went in. Our, our democracy still... Works. People still want to make it happen and all of us understand that none of us has the luxury of sitting any of this out um, It's it's on all of us not to just to stop the bad things But to define the future as we would have it for ourselves and for our kids and and for all of us So those are some things that, that I've learned that have made me a much better person deepen my belief in in this country and our democracy and in one another. We've still got this
0: Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store.
3: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: So you say you give this beautiful concession speech, beautiful, we all watched it. If you didn't, you can now Google it. And I I thought it was beautiful and I thought you handled it well. But when you go home and you wake up the next morning and it's done and you didn't win, is there a part of you that goes to the sunken place?
2: (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, felt a profound um, disappointment in myself that I had let so many people down. Folks who came to us at these town hall meetings, remember a young man, 27 years old in Laredo, Texas, said, Hey, Beto, you were talking about guaranteed high quality universal health care. That hits home for me because I don't have insurance. I don't have a doctor. The one time I did see a doctor, he said, You know, not only do you have diabetes and glaucoma, but unless you get health care and take care of yourself, you will be dead before the age of 40. And this young man said, I am counting on you, Beto. You've got to win this. We're the least insured state in the country. We are counting on you right now, parents of medically fragile children.
1: So you thought about that kid? I I thought about
2: that kid. I I thought about the fact that on issues of criminal justice, we have a school-to-prison pipeline in Texas um, that almost criminalizes kids based on the color of their skin. Four to five times more likely to be suspended or expelled or disciplined, not in high school, but in kindergarten. we imprison more people than any other country on the face of the planet, disproportionately mm-hmm. brown and black. Folks are counting on candidates to win those races, to change those laws, but but here's the silver lining. This is how you come out of your funk is, you, you, at least in my case, you stop looking at yourself and, and start looking out at others. 17 African-American women won judicial positions in Harris County. Yes, They will change criminal justice far more than I ever could. Um, yeah. And so something really good came out of that effort. A lot of really great things came out of that effort. So,
1: how long were you in the sunken place?
2: We count it not in in days or weeks, but. Um, <laughs> No, it, it it took a little while. You but,
1: went on a solo road trip. Did you go on that road trip because of it? I, I understood that yeah. you embarked on this. You posted, I've been stuck lately, yeah. in and out of a funk. My last day, day of work was January 2nd. Right. And uh, it's been more than 20 years since I was last not working. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I get moving on the road and meet some people, learn about what's going on. So you went out on the road. Yeah. Okay, what did
2: that teach you about I, yourself? I had to be moving, I had to be um, meeting people. It's just how I think and, and how I find the next step, and, and I it, it just truly emerged out of this by, by being with people. Were um, you by yourself? By myself, dr- driving my truck through Tucumcari, New Mexico, uh, Goodwill, uh, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up in a bar in Ulysses, Kansas. Um, afraid to go in, uh, much like I was on the courthouse steps of Paducah, Texas. They're not gonna like me, they're not yeah. gonna want me coming in to their place. This, this is their place, not mine. And was so warmly welcomed made to feel at home so curious about me I was so curious uh, about them and they how said,
1: long before they recognized who you were
2: you know pr- pretty soon within the first five or ten minutes and the guy sitting next to me says dang um, there are four Democrats in Ulysses Kansas none of them are here I wish <laughs> wish they were um, they'd love to meet you <laughs> so uh, did you buy everybody a drink what'd you do I, I did uh, and 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 uh, a couple of beers were, were bought for me um, and The the great thing is is I met this guy, Robert, uh, my tokayo, shares the same first name. uh, And I'm in this amazing history museum in Ulysses, Kansas, one of the best in the country that I have seen, bar none. And um, I'm looking at this exhibit and I hear this booming voice that says, hey Beto, and I look up and uh, I don't see who it is, tokayo, and I turn around and here comes Robert. He works for the carpet cleaning service. It's cleaning the carpets met me in the bar last night, says, I'm having lunch with my daughter and her family. Come out with us. And I Was did... he one of
1: the Democrats or he was not a
2: Democrat? I, I didn't ask. Oh, uh, didn't okay. ask. What Wasn't what important to me. I just wanted to find out about how he came here. Came here, as many families did to Ulysses, as many families did here to New York, as an immigrant, working in fields and farms and factories, the, the generation before his, until they arrived at Ulysses. His son-in-law the same story in their own personal stories and lives. The story of this country, the story of immigration, uh, everything about what we don't have to fear, but what we should be celebrating, seeing more of building upon that makes this country great in, in the first place. And so um, that journey and, and meeting Robert and his family totally took me out, not just of a funk, uh, but out of myself and, and into what we are all connected to, which is this amazing place and idea um, America. And so um, going forward, um, all I know after that trip and after thinking and after talking to um, my wife Amy, who is here with me, is that we want to play as great a role as possible in making sure that this country lives up to our expectations, to the promise, to the potential that we all know her to have. And so, so are you in that's, limbo that's right
1: now trying to figure out what to do?
2: I have been thinking about running for president. Uh, <laughs>
1: Let's hear what the thought is, folks. Let's hear what the thought is, and 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 what's the conclusion? Are you running?
2: So, this question about um, whether I can be that person to play that role. Yes. Um, not just to, to help bring the country together at a moment that it is as divided as I can remember in my 46 years. Those older than, than me say, say the same thing in their lifetimes. But, but can we can we together bring this country together around the big things that we know yes. we should be able will to do? will you be running so, uh, for president? I, I'm so, so, um, that, that's, that, that's a, a big question for us to think through. I, I gotta tell you, um, and you can tell uh, I'm I'm so excited yeah. at the prospect of of being able to play that role. I want to make sure that Amy and I, um, Ulysses, Molly, and Henry, our three kiddos who are 12, 10, and 8, that we're all good with this. That we're all on the same page. That we go in eyes wide open uh, about what this would mean. And so what's shortly, it gonna take? shortly, <laughs> shortly I want
1: what's um, it gonna take for you to say uh, yes? I'm doing it. No, and I, I mean that seriously. What's yeah. it going to take? I mean, I understand the process of yeah. saying, am I that guy? Because originally, at, when you finished the, the Senate race, you said, I'm not going to do it. Then, right. obviously, you talked to some people, and some people talked to you, and now you're leaning towards it. What's it going to take for you to say, which I think is a monumental decision, yeah. right. to say, yes, I believe I am the guy, to take that on?
2: Yeah. Um... You know, for, for me, it will—it it, will—it will—it will. It, it will really be family. Um, it, when Where's
1: a- Amy? Amy, would you want to come up here? <laughs>
2: There's Amy It'll back be, there. Yeah. will so be—it'll be family. When—when when we, you know, sometimes you hear uh, a politician, a, a candidate for office, say, you know, I asked my husband, I asked my wife, if—if if it would be okay. Yes. Of and, course. and they got behind me and they supported me. When we decided to run for Senate, I, I really mean this. We decided. Together, we came to the same conclusion that this was the best. You said something earlier that that stuck with me about um, ensuring that that you are able to express your highest and best purpose in life. And we knew that at a time that we were considering building a 2000 mile wall with the lowest levels of northbound apprehensions in our lifetime, we were considering banning all people of one faith from the shores of this country. When we were referring to the press as the enemy of the people, that it was on us to respond to that. What could we do? And Amy and I both said, we're gonna run for Senate. We're gonna be part of the the solution. So if we come to that same decision about this opportunity to serve and and to run, um, then it'll be one that we do together. If we don't do this, then we're gonna do our best in some other capacity to make sure that this country lives up to its potential. So so that's the the, the challenge before us. The fact
1: that you haven't said yes means that there's something that scares you about it or causes you to pause. What is the pause?
2: So here's part of it. I ran for Congress in 2012, was sworn in in 2013. So for the last seven years, my family hasn't seen me. I haven't been there for them. I haven't helped Amy in in raising these amazing kids in any significant, consistent way. Now I've been home for three months, the longest period in the last seven years. Um, and, and I see firsthand what Amy does for these kids, the, the amazing leader that she is in our home on top of everything else that she does in our community of El Paso. And I've also gotten to connect with my kids. The, the good thing uh, for those who would want us to run is that our oldest Ulysses, who is most desperate that we never run for office again, because of how long I have been gone, is about ready for me to leave the house. He's, uh, he's, the other night uh, I was, you know. How old is he? He's 12, 12 years old, I was giving him some advice and he's like, dad, I've, I think I've got it at, at this point. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think reconnecting with one another, um, remembering who we are, why we do what we do Um, making sure that whatever we do next, we do in the strongest possible position as a family is is the most important thing that we can do. More more important than anything else, Amy and I have talked about what are we going to be thinking about on our deathbeds when we look back on our life? Will I be thinking about whether or not I I ran for president when I had the opportunity, or will the first thought be my kids and and whether we were there for them uh, and helped them to become good human beings on, on this planet, that's that's the far more important responsibility. That I'm, we have. I'm
1: sure you've had conversations with. I know we all know you had a conversation with Barack Obama. You can tell us what y'all said. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and I'm sure. I mean, he actually ended up spending more time with his kids after he took office because the, the, his office was right there, in the noble right. Office.
2: Right. Right.
1: He was at dinner every night for the first time for the first time, Amy. He was at dinner every night. You're just a rose garden away from supper. so okay, so the the question is when you make this decision and come to to terms with what would be the reason
2: yeah.
1: that and your intention, as we talked about before this, your intention behind your motivation if you were to seek the highest office in the land?
2: Yeah. Can I be part of bringing people together in a deeply divided country around things that we agree are common? Can we have a common conception of what it is to be American, to serve, to sacrifice, to seek to achieve something far greater than any one of us or far greater than what we will see over the course of our lifetimes? I think about climate change, that the single greatest threat and opportunity that we face as a people, I I wanna make sure that we've done everything we can, and and not just graded and judged on effort, but on achievement to meet that challenge. I wanna make sure when we talk about criminal justice or everyone being able to be well enough to live to their full potential, to learn in that classroom, to work that job, to start that business, um, that we're doing this together. Um, So I think about our politics Um, the way that we run campaigns, the way that we connect with one another. Every single month in El Paso, as a congressman, held a town hall. Uh, All comers welcome, no holds barred. You could ask me anything, criticize me about anything, and I feared you going into that. I feared you when I cast every single vote, I'm gonna have to explain myself, a constant reminder of who it is that I serve and to whom I am accountable. I want that level of service and accountability in our government. Again, I want to take out the corporations, the intermediaries. Um, the more direct our democracy can be, the more each of us feel and expresses that responsibility by running for office or voting or helping others who've been barred or prevented or suppressed from voting, the stronger we're going to be as a country. H.R. 1, um, is in the House of Representatives right now. And not only does it address money in politics and connecting each one of us more directly with those who seek to represent us, it would address voting rights issues in places like Texas and the former Confederacy, where people have literally been drawn out. We want every single person to bring their unique genius and talent and gifts to what we do as a country, to what we are trying to achieve together. So if I can play some role in helping the country to do that, by God, I'm gonna do it.
1: Okay. By God, when are you gonna know the answer? (laughs) Uh, By God, when... Can we get Amy and you, Ulysses and the whole family together? Yeah. When are you gonna know that? Have you given yourself a deadline? I'm, not, I'm serious about that. Have you given yourself a... And,
2: and, and the serious answer is really soon. Um, <laughs> is, is is really soon, before the end of this month. Um, someone's asking for right now, but... Uh, <laughs> This is before the end of the month, but th- there are many other yes. days after this. Yeah. Um, I so, understand. So,
1: Listen, I think it's a sacred, you, you got to feel the call. Yeah. You, and you've got to know that you are the person who can actually honor the call. It is no plaything. Yeah. And I respect your decision-making process, and I respect you including your family and going to that space inside yourself. I know that you're raised Catholic, practicing Catholic. Do you use your faith? Do you use, what do you use in in coming to this process?
2: I I can't tell you how many times uh, I have asked God to tell me what to do. Give me some sign or indication of where I can best serve. I
1: was asking God, too, and God did not say nothing
2: to me. So
1: so I understand, I understand.
2: It's funny (laughs) that you say that because many of the questions that you have been asking me I'm sure many people here would like to know the answer from you. Um, Is this something you have considered doing? Would would you consider serving or running? The reason reason
1: I respect your process is because I, I do firmly believe it's something you've got to feel inside of yourself. Absolutely. And you've got to come to a knowing inside yourself. You've got to hear that and feel that for yourself. Not what everybody else says that I believe that I can answer this call That's right. for this particular moment in time, in our in our in our culture.
2: That's right. In our society. That's right. That's right. So so yes, I I do, I do do try to find, um, that message or that signal or or that sign. How are
1: you doing it? Are you like physically praying? Do you and Amy yeah. pray together?
2: We don't play, pray together. Um, you know, I, when I pray, um, I don't know if other people do this. I, I pray in my kid's room. Uh, if, if I'm at home uh, af- after they're asleep, uh, just thinking about them. It's, it's the, the clearest manifestation of my fortune in life. The, these amazing kids, um, our marriage, um, the fact that we've made it this far. And so my prayer begins with my gratitude for this um, and my desire to see my kids do well in their lives and, and to be good people, um, which, which I think is the challenge in our lives, and um, and and then then I ask for um, guidance and help in in what I'm doing and the decision that I'm making. But I've got to tell you, um, even in in you know the weeks and months since that election on the sixth of November, um, I have learned so much, changed so much a, as a person, and and become so inspired on that little road trip, on the folks that we met just in this visit in New York. I'm. I'm uh, increasingly excited about doing something again um, to the best uh, of my ability, fulfilling my purpose. Yeah. Um, it's to his highest its greatest expression level. of yourself as that, a human that's, being. That's exactly.
3: Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Yeah. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're right.
1: Yes. Um, so so, so what, what did you and, you and were... Barack Obama talk about?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I called Amy afterwards, um, and I, I said... Where was the
1: meeting, by the way? Where was it? It, it,
2: was, it was in his office.
1: Okay. Um, Were refreshments served? Or?
2: There, there was. Um, there was, uh, I, I received... I just want to
1: know, do powerful men say, Let's, I always like serve sandwiches and ginger ale. So I just want to know, do, yeah. re- there's refreshments?
2: Yes, and I, I hope it's okay with him that I'm sharing this with you. Um, <laughs> you said it's okay. Uh, so, um, somebody who works for him um, served me a cup of coffee yeah. in, in a, a porcelain cup in a saucer. He he comes walking down the hall, and he's got a, a paper cup of coffee, and he said, oh, Beto's here, so you get the, the nice uh, china, and I'm drinking out of the... Um, so, uh, it put me at ease, because he had to have known how nervous I was yeah. to, to be seeing him. I had met him, uh, but only glancingly, as a member of Congress when he was the president of the United States. And um, we sit down in his office. Um, he's sitting in a chair like this. I'm sitting at the edge of a couch. And at about minute six or seven, I, I realized I, I am so tense and tight, and I'm sure I just have the weirdest look on my face because <laughs>
0: you're, you're not loop, even
2: breathing. I'm not breathing. This loop is going through my head. I am listening to President Obama. I'm sitting with President Obama, and so I kind of um, mind controlled my my body and my expressions, and kind of tried to look relaxed. And and then and then actually we we proceeded to to have a really wonderful conversation. And um, again, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. We we were talking about the Texas Senate campaign. And I I said, I've got to admit, there were so many times during those two years out on the road um, where I wanted to give up, where I really felt tested, where I just didn't know if I could take it anymore, where I wanted to go back home and see Amy and be comforted by her and and be with our kids. Did you ever feel like that ever? And, And he said, every day. Um, and, and it made him... He's hes somewhat superhuman to me, yeah. and I think to a lot of us. And it, and it made him so much more human to know that he had doubts, um... Did and... he
1: encourage you to run for president? What did he say about no, that? No, he, d- he
2: didn't. He didn't. Um...
1: <laughs> wow. Just ask him. He didn't. You all did not talk about you running for president.
2: No, uh, that would not be correct. But but you asked... <laughs> you, you asked... Okay. You, you asked if, if he encouraged me to. He, he did not. Okay. Um, but he, he was very generous in sharing what his thought process was leading up to that decision. Okay. What it was like for his family. He, he knows that I am thinking about um, what this will do to Ulysses and Molly and Henry and, and you know, to our relationship. Um, and he said, look, um, just be very clear. This, this is one of the most intense um I don't know if you used this word, but, I, but I, I, I took this from it. One of the most brutal things you can go through. Um, and, and so know that going into this, though you ran for Senate in a very large state and you gave it your all, um, this is many factors more intense than that. And I just want you to know that. Um, but But we also talked about where the world is right now and the responsibility that we all have to make sure that we get this country going back on the right track. Um, and, and that was gratifying to know as well that he stays up at night thinking about the same things that, that we do. He wants to make sure that he's doing everything, though he's no longer president, within his power to make sure that his girls, his daughters, his family can expect a, a brighter future than we would if we stayed on this current trajectory. So that, that was just so powerful uh, for, for me. And even saying these words, it's you know hard to believe that I'm saying that I met with Barack Obama, yeah. and I'm saying it to Oprah Winfrey <laughs> um, here, here so, in New York. okay, um, if you
1: could, okay. you were talking about what keeps him up at night, the right. urgencies that keep him up at night. Yeah. What keeps you up at night? What are the top three urgencies that our country faces right now that keeps you awake at night about where we are?
2: Yeah. So I mentioned climate change. Yeah. Um, it, it is It is not now, it is yesterday yeah. that we need to have acted.
1: Um, What do you know for sure about immigration?
2: I know for sure that this is a country of immigrants, that there are millions of people working the hardest jobs, contributing to their maximum capacity, despite the fact that they don't have citizenship, don't even have status in this country, whom we must legalize, beginning with DREAMers, more than a million young people who, if I could, I would make U.S. citizens today, not only because it would be good for them, it would be fantastic for this country. They would be able to contribute even more than they already have. I would legalize their parents, the original dreamers, who made the god-awful decision, who thinks to leave their home, their comfort, their country, their family, their culture, their language, to start again at zero or less than zero in a new place, not knowing the language, not having any friends. Things have to be really bad. You have to really love that kid to do that. I want to legalize them. I want to increase the visa quotas that we have right now so that folks who want to come to this country to be with family, to work jobs, to start businesses, to make art, just to make this a better place, are able to do that, and I don't want to do that at the price of a wall or militarizing the border or deporting people who pose no harm to any of us mm-hmm. or to this country, and in fact, represent the future of the United States.
1: Well, you said of that the proposed border wall, I heard you say this, is based on what you called a racist reaction. Yeah. Explain that.
2: In his maiden speech as a candidate for the presidency, Donald Trump referred to Mexican immigrants as rapists and as criminals, people that we are supposed to be afraid of. In his first full State of the Union, He conflated dreamers and asylum seekers, young people fleeing the deadliest countries on the planet today in the Northern Triangle of Central America with gang members from MS-13 who will kill your daughter, um, who will take from you, who will destroy this country. The wall, his policy to meet that challenge, that false threat that he says that we face, is, is a racist response literally in concrete or steel or whatever form it takes to a problem that we do not have. At the beginning of the George W. Bush administration, there were 1.6 million apprehensions along our border with Mexico. Last year, a little over 300,000. El Paso, Texas, one of, if not the safest cities in the United States of America, not in spite of, but because of the fact that we are a city of immigrants and we're connected with Ciudad Juarez and with Mexico and with the rest of the world, and those who we are apprehending are not fleeing from border patrol agents, they're turning themselves in. They're moms with kiddos, doing what any human being would do, what Amy would do if it were the only choice left to her to save the life of her kids. That's a racist response to a problem that we don't have. It seeks emotionally to connect with us, with voters, to stoke anxiety and paranoia, um, to win power, Over the other. Over the other, on the basis of lies that vilify people. Meeting a third grade girl at Lyndon B. Johnson Elementary in El Paso, Mexican-American who asks me, why does the president not like me? What that does to her head, her conception of who she is, who she can become, what she is supposed to do in the United States. I told that story in Houston on the campaign trail and a family pulled me aside afterwards. And they said, that really hit home for us. We're Muslims our daughter, third grade, came home from school and asked if we should be in this country anymore. We don't fully comprehend the damage that we're doing to children, not just those children torn from the arms of their parents, children who are born in this country or came to this country after their birth, um, who may not feel fully American. We've got to get that back and we've got to acknowledge where this stuff is coming from. Um, Okay,
1: so you live in the largest border state. What do you think is the answer?
2: I think we rewrite our our immigration laws based on our experiences. I mentioned El Paso being one of the safest cities in the world, based on our values, based on our needs, based on our families. As I mentioned earlier, we we legalize millions of people who are already here, Uh, so many of them on a path to citizenship immediately so that they can give to their highest and best potential. We address legitimate security concerns at our border, bringing illegal drugs into this country, bringing people in bondage, modern-day slavery, um, through the borders to this country. Um, we're vigilant against any opportunity to So you're saying that is an issue, country.
1: but it is not an issue to the degree that we're being told?
2: There have been a total of zero terrorists, terrorist acts, terrorist plots connected to the U.S.-Mexico border that harmed or sought to harm U.S. citizens. Um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't be vigilant against it, I worked with my Republican colleague in the Senate, John Cornyn, on legislation that would meet the legitimate security concerns we have where they are at at their greatest level, and that's at our ports of entry. The vast majority of everyone and everything that comes into this country crosses through one of those ports of entry. If we have more CBP officers, if we have greater technology, if we invest in the infrastructure of those ports, not only do we facilitate legitimate trade and travel that is fundamental to jobs and economic growth in this country. We also are able to better understand who and what is coming into this country, demonstrably making us safer in the process. So there's a way to do it. In fact, there is a bipartisan way to do it. We've demonstrated that to meet the challenges and not make one happen at the expense of the other. We can rewrite those immigration laws while securing our country at the same time.
1: So there were over 300 mass shootings in 2018. It's so bad now that if you only, if only three or four people get shot, you don't even get to be the head of the news anymore. It's like back of the news. How can we, what are we gonna do? What would you do about preventing gun violence?
2: Last spring, Henry comes home from his first grade class. Uh, Amy asks him what he did at school that day. And he describes an active shooter drill. Um, That first grade teacher herding Henry and his classmates into a closet Um, teaching them how to resist the impulse to open that door when a man bangs on it, impersonating a shooter and demands that those kids open the door. And I thought, that teacher has such a tough job already. Chances are in the state of Texas, which woefully underpays our teacher, she's working a second or a third job just to make ends meet. It's a dual language school, so she's teaching everything in English and in Spanish, There are kids in that public school who show up in the same pair of jeans, the same t-shirt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. She's the one out of her own pocket who buys them new clothes on Thursday so they can hold their head a little bit higher, uh, be treated with dignity by their fellow students. And now she has to envision an active shooter coming to that classroom. She has to teach those kids what to do. And she has to think about putting herself between that shooter and those kids. My kid, why in the world? That's crazy. Why couldn't we adopt universal background checks? Ensure that every single person who wants to purchase a firearm goes through those background checks. The states that have adopted them have seen a near 50% reduction in serious gun violence. And another question, a little bit more controversial in Texas. Why do we continue to sell weapons made for the express purpose of killing people as effectively, as efficiently, in as great a number as possible? Weapons of war to people who time and again use them against one another. And this is one of those issues where you can come to a different conclusion. It makes you no less American. Um, You can own an AR-15, own it responsibly, and ask, why shouldn't I be able to continue to buy it? But you can also ask, as does Rhonda Hart, a mother I met who lost her daughter in the Santa Fe High School shooting in, in Santa Fe, Texas, why can't we make common sense legislation and policy that would save more lives? Isn't my daughter's life Worth that not the life of your daughter, your child, um, the other kids in this country, aren't they worth us being able to do something? Sacrifice the next election if you must. You may not get reelected, But do the right thing while you can. Um, I think that's what the people of this country are asking of us right now.
1: So, what makes you
2: optimistic? Oh, uh, people make me optimistic every single time. I, uh, spoke, uh, really listened to a class at El Paso Community College last week, and, um... You know, went in probably a little nervous, a little intimidated, talking to to young people. Um, came out just pumped. Because um, do you
1: think we're gonna get through this divisive time? Yeah, they, do you think they're to there. Get, do you think it's gonna get worse before it gets better?
2: I think the worst brings out the best in us. Um, you, you see people rising to the moment. Th- those young people so firmly focused on the future. Um, the rest of their life is in front of them. And and they want to make sure that we get it right. And, and they don't want to uh, be patronized as the leaders of tomorrow. They recognize that they're the leaders of today. The reason we're talking about gun violence is not because of members of Congress such as myself. It's because of young people who took to the streets and demanded right. that we right. do something. Absolutely. Civil Absolutely. rights, thank God that Lyndon Baines Johnson was able to shepherd the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act through Congress at that time but he doesn't deserve the credit. It's the people who literally paid with their lives, risked their lives, it's the John Lewis's of the world who marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, who secured that change, who made it possible, who formed the political will that makes progress in this country. So um, that's what makes me optimistic, is, is the people have got it. And, and, and so we, we just need to make sure that that's reflected in our representation, in our politics, the way that we campaign and the way that we serve.
1: You seem like you're getting ready to run. <laughs> Beto work, everybody, thank you. you, Thank you, that was awesome, it
2: was that was fun. Thank you, thank you,
1: thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was good.
2: We could talk a long time. You're awesome, thank you, thank thank you. you. Awesome. yes. Thank you. Yeah. thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. Thank you all very much. <laughs>
1: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.
3: Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers?